This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Today we're going to talk about altitude illness. What would happen if all of a sudden you were suddenly uh, on the top of Mount Everest? That is just going from whatever elevation you are and suddenly went up to the highest point on Earth. Well, the answer is that you would certainly pass out and within a few minutes you'd be dead. But this actually kind of scenario happened in, a, in 1875 uh, in France. Uh, th- this was in the area of the new hot air balloons, and people were experimenting with them. And uh, three men who were doing uh, research at high altitude, no one had been that high before, uh, went up very, very high. They actually uh, were looking at the effects of what they called thin air at the time. Uh, the sci- these were f- a very well-known French scientist, and they wanted to go higher than anyone had gone before. And they finally reached what we now call the death zone of about 27,000 feet, which is approximately 8,200 meters. They passed out. Basically what happened is one of the scientists awoke to find the other two were dead. Uh, because of the problem, the Zenith crashed to the earth just outside of Ciron, France, uh, and uh, the one scientist lived. The other two had died, but they died of uh, altitude illness. Nobody really knew what it was at the time, and that was the first time uh, anyone had ever known that it, by going to altitude you could die. Nobody understood why these two men died, and the discussions went on for some time, and it's only been in the last number of decades that the effects of altitude have really been studied. Most people are completely unaware that ascending to altitude increase really an inherent risk of becoming ill and even dying. There are a lot of really tragic stories out there of people who go up into altitude and then die because of it. Now, you don't have to go that high uh, uh, compared to what the zenith did. In fact, just about 100 years after the flight of the zenith in 1978, uh, Mesner and Habler ascended Mount Everest without oxygen. They went as high uh, as the zenith did, and yet they survived. The difference between the scientists on the zenith that died and the, these uh, climbers of Mesner and Hebler who uh, climbed Everest was those two allowed their bodies to acclimatize uh, over time. The problem is not uh, a lack of oxygen at altitude. People say that. The oxygen content of the atmosphere is relatively stable, up to about 10,000 meters or 32,000 feet or something around those numbers. The issue is the partial pressure of oxygen that decreases logarithmically as altitude increases. That creates what's called hyperbaric hypoxia. This is the absolute opposite effect of what happens with diving, where the partial pressure of oxygen increases dramatically. Altitude illness is uh, very rare below uh, 6,500 feet or about 2,000 meters. The first thing that happens when uh, someone goes to high altitude and is exposed to hyperbaric hypoxia is an increase in their respiratory rate. The body does this, of course, to improve oxygenation. The alveolar gas equation is the equation that defines this. Basically, what happens is that humans need pressure to push oxygen into the bloodstream. If there's not enough pressure when a person is at altitude, 
then the body will reduce the pressure inside the vessels by lowering the level of carbon dioxide, and this is done by hyperventilating. Unfortunately, hyperventilating removes the CO2 that drives us to breathe and then eventually makes us alkalotic enough that we decrease our breathing. To allow us to continue hyperventilating, our kidneys will then secrete bicarbonate, causing people to urinate more at uh, altitude. The most severe effects of altitude sickness arise from edema, fluid accumulation around our body. This can occur anywhere, really, including tissues under the skin. However, the most severe consequences of this swelling happens in the brain and in the lungs. At very high altitude, swelling in the brain is called acute mountain illness, which progresses as the edema increases in the brain to be called high-altitude cerebral edema. That's AMS and HACE. These really are the same disease, just uh, it's a progression from one to the other. Then, as edema forms into lungs, this is called high-altitude pulmonary edema, or HAPE. So the physiologic cause of altitude-induced edema is not conclusively established. It is currently believed, however, that HACE is caused by local vasodilation of cerebral blood vessels in response to hypoxia, resulting in higher blood flow and, consequently, more significant capillary pressures. On the other hand, HAPE may be due to general vasoconstriction in the pulmonary circulation. This is usually in response to regional vasodilation perfusion mismatches, which, with constant or increased cardiac output, also leads to increases in capillary pressures. Let's talk a little bit about acute mountain sickness, which then progresses into haste. Uh, When you are trying to diagnose AMS, the medical history is the key to this. There are no specific physical exam findings. It's vital to assess the rate of ascent and the total elevation gain when you're evaluating AMS. It is a common illness that occurs uh, in up to 70% of individuals, depending primarily on the rate of ascent. There was a Saint, uh, or rather a Lake Louise consensus criteria that was uh, sta- established uh, some time ago, uh, which set the international uh, symptoms for this disease. Uh, it is uh, diagnosed in the setting of a recent gain in elevation with the presence of a headache, and that's probably the key thing, is that you first you have to have a headache, and then at least one of the following symptoms, which they uh, designated as dizziness or lightheadedness, fatigue or weakness, nausea, vomiting, anorexia, or insomnia. The most significant risk factors for AMS are a prior history of AMS, uh, fast or high ascents, and obesity. Men and women are about the same. Well, AMS will progress to haste. So as the edema in the brain increases, the symptoms of AMS become more profound and will progress to haste. Haste is a life-threatening disease. It is defined as basically severe AMS symptoms with additional apparent neurologic dysfunction, which includes ataxia, altered level of consciousness, and then severe lassitude. There is no boundary between AMS and haste, and it's blurry. Haste almost never occurs without AMS symptoms coming first. The progression of AMS to coma typically occurs over one to three days. HAPE and HACE are often present uh, simultaneously. High-altitude pulmonary edema, or HAPE, usually evolves over two to four days after ascent to altitude. 
the Lake uh, Louise consensus criteria for HAPE uh, are symptoms of at least two of the following. They define it as dyspnea at rest, cough, weakness or decreased exercise performance, chest tightness or congestion. The Lake uh, Louise consensus criteria uh, for uh, the signs of uh, HAPE uh, are at least two of the following. Crackles or wheezing in the and at least one lung field, central cyanosis, uh, tachypnea, and tachycardia. The primary symptoms are dyspnea at rest, cough, and exercise intolerance. The initial signs will often be a marked decrease in exercise tolerance in an individual as compared to previous days. Occasionally, but not often, frothy pink sputum is produced, although that seems to be something that is famous, but it's not necessarily seen, and it usually happens in, uh, later in the illness. Neurologic symptoms may be seen with concomitant haze uh, uh, disease. Hypoxemia and respiratory alkalosis are universally uh, present. Mild cases may resolve within hours after descent. In contrast, severe cases may progress to death within 24 hours, particularly if descent uh, is delayed. So the uh, prevention is graded ascent, uh, 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 undeniably. Uh, this facilitates acclimatization and, uh, to whatever elevation they're at. Current recommendations for climbers without experience at high altitude are to spend two to three nights at 2,500 to 3,000 meters before a further ascent. Increases of greater than 600 meters in sleeping altitude should be avoided at all costs. And one uh, should consider uh, an extra night of climatization for every 300 uh, to 900 meters of altitude gain. Medicines can help, but there is absolutely no substitute for uh, a gradual ascent. And one of the take-home messages from the book, the text, and this podcast is that that don't use medicines to uh, mean that you can climb faster than you should. Uh, some medicines uh, work better if you are going to take them, but make sure you go up slowly. Uh, cetazolamide, uh, 125 milligrams twice daily. If you start taking it a couple of days before you ascend, can be effective for the AMS prophylaxis. Uh, it works by increasing the respiratory rate, and since during a hike people are already breathing uh, pretty fast, its effects are felt mostly at night when you're asleep. So the effect of it, since you're breathing fast today, is sort of nil. It's better at night uh, when you're sleeping. There is mixed evidence to suggest that ginkgo biloba, in which they usually give us 120 milligrams uh, twice daily, you start five days prior to ascent, may be helpful in preventing acute mountain sickness. However, it cannot be reliably counted on to, to uh, be of any benefit. And so they really don't recommend it anymore. Ibuprofen has been shown to treat and prevent high-altitude headache effectively. It remains unclear if it is uh, actually good into prevention of uh, AMS, however. Uh, prophylactic uh, for uh, HAPE uh, should be reserved only for those with previous episodes of HAPE. Uh, uh slow-release formulations, 20 milligrams every eight hours, has been shown to be effective for prophylaxis in uh, individuals who are susceptible to HAPE and have had uh, previous episodes. Uh, Somaterol has been shown to be effective in reducing the risk of HAPE in those known to be susceptible uh, also. Uh, Phosphodiesterase inhibitors uh, have been uh, shown to be effective in decreasing the risk of HAPE in those at risk though nifedipine remains really the gold standard. 
Habe's susceptible individuals should limit their ascent rate to no more than 350. That's about 1,100 or 1,200 feet uh, uh, per day. 350 meters or 1,100 to 1,200 feet per day. And that really is the, uh, the prevention, is, in some ways, is the treatment. The treatment for AMS is to discontinue uh, ascent and rest. Taking acetazolamide, 20, 250 milligrams daily, until your symptoms free. Cetazolamide is the treatment of choice for the prevention of the treatment of AMS because it facilitates acclimatization. It's a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor which causes the kidneys to secrete bicarbonate resulting in diuresis, creating a metabolic acidosis with compensatory hyperventilation. Again, this works primarily at night uh, when you uh, would normally be breathing slower. It's a sulfur-based medicine, so be careful with that. But remember, the descent... Uh, is the definitive treatment if they become sick. Uh, AMS progresses to haste, and if you suspect that, it's immediate descent, uh, almost always with some type of assistance. This really is imperative and should not be delayed, even for modest moments, uh, even if you're waiting to give them medicines. In addition to descent, uh, administering dexamethasone can also be given immediately. Acetazolamide should be given if the victim is uh, unable to tolerate oral medicines or if descent is not possible. Uh, you can put the victim in a portable hyperbaric chamber if there is one, although most people don't have those. Recovery with prolonged problems, especially ataxia, can last for weeks. Most who survive eventually feel or will fully uh, recover neurologically. The treatment for HAPE is immediate descent also. All that may be required is 500 to 1,000 meters of descent before improvement is observed. The patient should rest after a descent. No intervention should delay the opportunity to descend uh, with HAPE. Um, uh, HACE is slow to resolve, or HAPE is actually relatively quickly to resolve, and you really don't need anything else beyond that. Remember that slow ascent is the way to prevent these problems, and quick descent with no delay is the preferred and uh, best treatment. Uh, evacuation guidelines... Uh, is descent. However, the descent is not the same as evacuation. Uh, in select circumstances, victims with altitude-related illnesses can descend for uh, some time while their bodies acclimatize before reascending. Victims with AMS do not necessarily need to be evacuated. Rest at current altitude and medical interventions uh, <clears throat> may be sufficient for uh, overcoming them. Uh, extreme uh, Caution should be used that the victim is to continue to ascend because symptoms can progress, uh, progress to haste. And before you go up, victims should be symptom-free for at least 24 hours uh, before going up. Victims with high-altitude cerebral edema, or haste, should be evacuated after a descent. While full neurologic recovery is likely if they have survived, sequelae such as ataxia can uh, like persist for weeks. For this reason, victims with haste are not safe to attempt to reascend on their current trip or expedition. However, victims with high-altitude pulmonary edema should also be evacuated. Death from HAPE can proceed quite rapidly, so descent followed by evacuation should not be delayed. Uh, some climbers with uh, uh, mild HAPE, uh, which is usually characterized by a dry cough with mild tachypnea at rest, may be reluctant to abort an expedition as these trips usually represent thousands of dollars of investment. However, the need to descend, whether you evacuate or not, the need to ascend is absolutely uh, imperative in these people. Well, this ends the uh, 
podcast on uh, altitude and illness. And uh, again, thank you uh, for listening. <laughs>